0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Guardians radio network. Guardians Weekly is brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Hi everyone, welcome to Guardian's Weekly, Jim Rosenhouse, along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland in the throes of winter weather now in northeast Ohio, but a little baseball talk for the next hour or so, hopefully warms you up a little bit, and a good show lined up for you today. In the second half of our show, we will be joined by Texas Rangers broadcaster Matt Hicks, and as you've probably figured out here during this off season, we We're doing things a little bit differently and, and uh, trying to find some Cleveland connections in different ways and Matt, the broadcaster, one of the broadcasters along with Hall of Famer Eric Nadell on the radio side for the Texas Rangers had a part in a movie that's very close to Cleveland sports fans. Maybe not quite as close as its predecessor but Major League 2 Matt was a part of it, and he'll have some Inside stories on working with Bob Uecker on some of the great Harry Doyle scenes and some of the other shenanigans that went on during the filming of Major League Two. Not quite as popular as Major League One. Well, not even close, but uh, a decent sequel. It was after that that things went south on the Major League franchise, but um, some fun stuff from Matt coming up in the second half of our show. In the first half of the show, after the break here, We will hear from new Guardians assistant pitching coach Joe Torres. And uh, good for Joe. It's his sixth year in the organization, and he has a chance now to work at the major league level as he replaces Ruben Niebla, who did great work over a a period of time, almost two decades in the organization. And uh, Ruben had a a great opportunity to move close to home and become the pitching coach for the San Diego Padres for uh, the upcoming season. So congrats to him. And uh, congrats to Joe Torres, who will take over that spot in the dugout alongside pitching coach Carl Willis and bullpen coach Brian Sweeney. So we'll hear from Joe in just a little bit. But uh, this reminder, if you want to pick up some six-packs, they start as low as $99, and there's some that have so much flexibility, uh, you can't help but jump on the on the bandwagon and and get yourself ready to go for tickets for the 2022 season. Just go to KleeGuardians.com all the information right there on uh, the ticket side of the website and uh, that'll get you squared away and ready to go. And speaking of ready to go, we'll take a short break and come back and hear from Joe Torres, the Guardians' new assistant pitching coach. That's coming up on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Folks, strap yourselves in, we're going to be here a while.
2: Sure, we have 30 seconds to tell you that drivers who switched to progressive could save big. But then what? Well, radio has been called Theater of the Mind, so let's tell a story with sound effects. <laughs> Wow, it's like I was in the... This makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. (laughs) Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates.
1: Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse back with you at Progressive Field, downtown Cleveland. And we are joined now by the newest member of the Guardians coaching staff. Coming on board is the assistant pitching coach, Joe Torres, who's joining us from down in Florida at his offseason home. And uh, Joe, first off, congratulations, and, and thanks a lot for stopping by to talk some baseball for a little bit.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Jim. I appreciate you having me. Uh, obviously, very grateful for this opportunity. So, uh, And thank you for having me on the show.
1: And coming up on your your sixth year in the organization and and you have a chance now to to work in the major leagues and uh, you do it with an organization that I think it's fair to say right now. And when people hear about Cleveland, they think pitching first and foremost. And and it has to be a lot of fun to to be a key part of that first in in the development side and, and now at the major league side.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things you just said there that stands out to me is as part of it, because, uh, you know, this whole thing that we do here as a organization on the pitching end and, and every uh, domain is, is, is as a group. So, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate. I'm in a tremendous place that, that we work hard. We work together. Um, we continue learning and, uh, you know, we do everything we can for the player.
1: And we'll get into your background in a little bit. But uh, when you talk about coaching and opportunities and, and wanting to be involved uh, you look for certain things and I know you were saying earlier that, that it, it really lined up with some of your beliefs, but but what were some of the early impressions you had where, where you said, uh-huh, now I get it. This is, this is why they've had some success in this area.
0: Sure. I mean, it's a good question. I think, uh, I think, you know, we, it's just such a, a holistic perspective on, on a pitcher. Um, you know, I think we don't just look in one area. We want to make sure that, that things tie together and, you know, whether that's delivery, um, you know, the actual um, action of the, of the pitch and, fall, and ball flight, um, you know, the mental side of things, the physical side of things. I mean, we just do such a great job, I believe, in just, you know, connecting those dots or at least, you know, we attempt to where we understand it's not just one area and, and we try to figure out like what levers to pull at the right time to be able to, uh, you know, help this player, uh, progress as they need to.
1: We're visiting with Joe Torres, who is uh, newly named as Guardians assistant pitching coach. He'll work with Carl Willis uh, in the dugout and also Brian Sweeney, the Indians bullpen coach at the major league level. And uh, Joe, let's look back at at, at your career in baseball, you 13 years in pro ball as a pitcher. Uh, but obviously you go back further than that. And, and you had a great opportunity at a very young age to participate in some international play. And uh, tell us about that. What was that like in terms of, of travel and representing your country and everything that goes along with that?
0: Sure, yeah. I, at 15 and 16 years old, I was able to uh, take part in uh, two USA Olympic tournaments, um, one of which uh, I had to go fly to Taiwan for, um, which was just such an amazing experience for you know a kid of that age and, and being able to, you know as a group, as a team, to represent your country and to step onto foreign lands um, to play a game was a pretty cool experience. Um, and then, you know, getting a chance to go through that process and getting to a gold medal game um, where we played in Taiwan against Chinese Taipei. And so it was a brand new stadium, 20,000 fans um, screaming, beating the drums, all anything you could think of or you've ever heard of maybe in like winter ball. Um, I was able to have that experience and, and, Gosh, it's something that you know always stays uh, in my mind forever.
1: And, and how do you even get identified as a candidate to, to to participate in something like that?
0: Yeah, I think I mean I think we know in, in baseball a lot of times it's, it's just you know right place, right time, um, and, and you know sometimes you just got to be lucky. And uh, I, I think that about my, a lot of things that's happened in my career, um, just kind of got lucky, got put in the right place at the right time. And and for USA Baseball, it was actually through travel ball. Um, we had a big tournament in Arizona. Um, I was playing for the Chet Lemon Juice um, out of uh, Central Florida. And, uh, you know, we played a tournament there and, and things, you know, went pretty well. And I think they were looking for one more player and that final spot. Uh, Chet Lemon, you know, being the, the person he is and and obviously having some uh, clout in this game, having played for, you know, over a couple decades, he was able to speak to one of the USA representatives and say, hey, just take a look at this kid over here. And uh, I was able to throw a, Bullpen for him, and and I snuck onto the roster as the last guy.
1: You mentioned Chet Lemon, and and here is someone that I'm sure some of our older listeners uh, would recognize right away as as someone who played against Cleveland ball clubs quite a bit for the opposition. But uh, what did he mean to to your baseball career at an age where uh, you know development's so important, but also enjoyment of the game to to kind of keep that fire burning is important too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know. You know, Chet, uh, you know, he had the Chet Lemon Juice and he ran that academy in Central Florida, which I, I believe still exists today. Um, him and his wife, Gigi, were just a great influence on the community. I mean, they just obviously a guy that's passionate about the game. Um, his sons play the game, but, you know, he put these teams together and it. we went out there and you can feel the passion from him. You can hear that, feel the excitement from him. And as a kid, I didn't really. I didn't know Chet as a player, but you know I I knew him as a person, and uh, and he was a person that motivated us, and and it was just through the passion that he had for the game that that he was able to, you know, spill into us as players.
1: Joe Torres joining us, Guardians assistant pitching coach, and uh, just named so last week. And uh, Joe, you look at at your pro career, you're a top round draft pick of the Angels uh, as a flamethrower coming out of high school baseball in Florida, and. It, it sounds like just talking to you that in the 13 years that you played professionally that, that you're always trying to chase some of that good success and what made you a top-round draft pick during your pro career. What were some of the challenges that you had that that really made that difficult at times, but maybe, if you look back on it, uh, prepared you to, to be a good coach in this game and, and, and elevate your game to where you are now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean there's probably too many to think of, but you know, I was, again, very fortunate to be drafted uh, in the first round with the Angels in 2000. And, um, you know, at the time, I was a pretty raw athlete, um, but very open minded and, and wanted to, you know, hey, if I'm getting the pro ball now, I'm going to get a chance to, you know, I was throwing 95, 96 in high school. If I if I go ahead and just listen and, and, and open up and maybe I'll throw 100, you know, and, and just you know, a little bit naive or a little bit, uh, you know, I don't know, ambitious, I guess. But I, I got into the game and, and, you know, I had a really good successful first year um, in, uh, in rookie ball, but then, uh, you know, I I went into kind of an area where I was, I was seeking for more and and maybe, maybe dug down a rabbit hole that kind of maybe went too far where I'd work on different mechanics and things like that, that, uh, that actually hindered me and actually took me in the other direction. So unfortunately through that, I I had some injuries and, you know, the injuries pile up and, and, and so forth. So it's like, you can it was hard to find that person that just got drafted that kid that just got drafted um, but i continue to seek that and i think that because of that and it, it opened me up to so many coaches and and so much uh research and experimentation and and and, and finding ways to compete with uh with different versions of myself because i tried a lot of things i mean you know, I was a guy that was able to throw hard uh, at one point and, and do it one way. And I was a guy that didn't throw very hard at all and did it another way, you know? And so um, there's just a lot of different um, avenues that I had to kind of work through and climb through as my, for myself, um, you know, through my experience. But then on the other end, just, you know, really working hard to try to learn more and learn about the body and learn about, um, you know, it's more things that, that we do so well here with the organization.
1: And at the end of that, that 13th season, uh, an easy decision to to say, you know what, the playing career has to end now, or, or was it really a, a difficult decision to to say, hey, look, time to maybe look at a new chapter?
0: Yeah, I would say it, it, it's always difficult if if you're gonna walk away from the game, a the game that you love and you've been playing for for so long as a kid. It was it was definitely a difficult decision, um, but you know, at the same time, you know, at a certain age when you start to see things and understand how. Um, everything works in the game, Um, understand that you have a family you got to take care of and and think about it a little bit differently. Um, Excuse me, sorry about that, motorcycle in the background. Um, (laughs) uh, You start to think about things a little bit differently. And, uh, you know, I I always wanted to coach, and it seemed like, you know, that was probably about the right time.
1: In terms of aligning with the Guardians on a coaching standpoint, uh, a couple of years go by after your playing career, And the coach you're replacing, Ruben Niebla, who uh, just did wonderful work over two decades with uh, the organization and development, and then most recently as assistant pitching coach, now on with the Padres as their pitching coach. But uh, you were saying earlier, he was one of those who who reached out to you, or or through him, you were able to find out about a position with the organization?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ruben at the time was the pitching coordinator, and, and, um, you know, i think we've seen over the years with our organization with um, the guardian organization is is we develop staff members very very well so i mean obviously we see front office members across the league and you know pitching coaches hitting coaches managers across the league that have come through this organization so it, it's kind of known that that you know we're going to lose some people at times and so he was on the search for some more coaches um you know once again as the organization is a, a very open-minded learning organization he uh he came across someone named brent Porciau out of uh, louisiana who's running a, a top velocity program over there and he was just looking to learn more about their philosophies and methods and training and whatnot over there um and i had met brent i don't know probably a month prior and i was i was kind of working through things where it was kind of a last hurrah of trying to figure out my career um and and through that connection right there um you know they went ahead and. And just said, hey, I might have somebody there for you that, that could be interested, uh, Ruben. And and I just, you know, was able to get on a phone call with Ruben and just kind of talk through things from there.
1: So you have three seasons as a pitching coach with minor league clubs in the organization, and then the last two as as the minor league pitching coordinator. Uh, explain for fans that the differences between the two and why it's helpful to, to have had that opportunity to do both.
0: Yeah. So you know, as a as a minor league coach you know, you, you get a chance to be um, boots on the ground in the weeds with the players day to day. So, you know, um, you know, as they're working through their, their post game in game pre game, I mean, you're, you're doing all that work with them um, daily. So, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to be able to learn and, and, and be able to, um, speak with different players, learn, learn different uh, personalities, um, learn different deliveries. I mean, there's just so much that goes into obviously the experience on the ground. Um, and obviously being able to do that at different levels because um, each level sometimes will present different challenges and different ways of coaching. Um, so that that's the kind of the coaches side of things. And then as a coordinator, you shift a little bit more to, um, you know, helping um, with some, instead of coaching players, you're kind of coaching coaches and, and, and in a way that you're doing that as a partnership, right? We're just helping each other out. We're, you know, making sure we're, we're following through on organization philosophies. We're doing things together. Um, and, and inadvertently, you're still getting to the player, but, uh, it's always through the coach. And, and so it's a different way of, of, of responsibilities, um, as a coordinator.
1: And now you will get to work with guardians pitching coach, Carl Willis. Uh, how much work do you have to do this off season and in, in the time before everything begins to to really get on the same page with him and and figure out you know what's comfortable, what you know where you can lend your expertise to what's going on up here.
0: Yeah, I think stepping into a, a new arena with a new group, it, it's always um, you know close your mouth, open up your ears, and uh, you know do do everything you can to kind of figure out, you know, what, what's been done, what's the process, um, you know, how to, how does it work for other people? Like what's important to Carl, you know, where's the areas that that he would need some help and and just trying to figure it out from there. But, uh, you know, right now it's been great. Um, what we've been able to just, you know, have some time to, you know, just do some teaming exercises and work through things as a group where Carl, um, Brian Sweeney, our bullpen coach and myself are just really kind of working through, you know, how we would like to operate, you know, the best and most effectively as we can as a team uh, coming up this year.
1: Uh, It has been a a real source of strength for the Guardians organization, the pitching end of things. And Joe, congratulations on on the promotion to the Major League Club. And I look forward to working with you over the course of the summer.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. And uh, and once again, I'm super excited about this opportunity. Uh, You know, getting a chance to work with Carl, Brian, um, Tito, and and this staff is, uh, is definitely a blessing. And I'm just very, very grateful for it.
1: That's Joe Torres, the Guardians' new assistant pitching coach. Stay tuned. More to come after this on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network.
2: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it?
1: Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend and throughout the course of this offseason, we check in with various people connected with the game. And, and a good friend of mine for a long, long time is Texas Rangers broadcaster Matt Hicks, who has been with the Rangers uh, off and on but full time for a while now. And uh, Matt, great to have you along. And, and I know uh, that we're experiencing a, a classic Northeast Ohio winter here of late with uh, the heavy snows and and cold temperatures. How's things down in the Dallas-Fort Worth area?
3: (laughs) Rosie, first off, thanks for having me on. It's great to hear your voice. And uh, you've got connections uh, to this uh, area, and uh, we've got connections up north. So you kind of know that here at this time of the year, if you don't like what's going on, you just need to wait five minutes, and it'll probably change. So last night we had temperatures dipping below the freezing line with the possibility of some snow flurries in the area. And uh, Saturday, the high temperature is supposed to be like 67, 68. So um, (laughs) it, it swings. We, you know, for all the time that I've lived here in the area, summer is not a three month proposition. It's more like five or six months. And then you don't get much of a fall. We do have a winter, for sure. Not that we get snow and whatnot, but we do get cold temperatures and then spring lasts maybe uh, maybe about a month and then we get right into summer. There's the, the 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 seasons that I really like. I enjoy the fall. I enjoy the spring. You don't get a lot of that here in the Metroplex. So you will have these days where it's freezing and then immediately we have days where it's 70 or 75 degrees. And, and course, there you go.
1: And, of course, in the summertime, you've, you've got those 100-degree days down there, and, <laughs> and that, that's uh, what Texas is famous for, it seems like, sometimes. Yep. But, oh, uh, yeah. All right, so folks are probably wondering, well, why are you having the Texas Rangers broadcaster on? What's that all about? <laughs> well, of course, if you're a regular listener to our show, especially this off season, there's got to be some sort of connection to the Cleveland baseball franchise. And for Matt Hicks, not only is he a broadcaster of baseball for a long, long time, but he is also an accomplished Hollywood actor. And one of his <laughs> roles was in Major League Two, which doesn't quite get the, the fame and notoriety that Major League One did, but a lot of the same characters were still around for Game uh, Major League Two. And uh, Matt, you were a part of that. What, what was your role in that movie?
3: Well, I suppose technically speaking, I didn't have a role because I was an extra. Um, but I was also an advisor, I guess, uh, and that's a loosely used word here for the film, because at the time I was a broadcaster uh, in minor league baseball. The uh, the scenes that I'm in are the scenes featuring Harry Doyle, uh, Bob Eucher, and I, I get to sit next to Euchre in um, the scenes where the team is playing in Cleveland. Uh, there are some scenes where, Um, You know, Euchre and his color analyst, Monty, uh, are uh, in Chicago, and I'm not in those scenes. I actually, this is funny, being the advisor, uh, I was asked by the director, would would my character, would my extra and some of these other extras, would they be in the booth with Harry Doyle in Chicago? And I said, no, most of these people would, you know, are just people that would be local. I actually talked myself out of screen time. If you can believe that. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, so I was just an actually I didn't have any speaking lines. Uh, I did notice some things on the set that, that I said, you know, that that wouldn't be there or, hey, you just had that thing up on a previous game. It would be different for this game. And so the people that worked on the set, would, you know, they would go and change things to give it a little more um, a sense of realism, I suppose. Um, and, you know, I, I learned a lot about movie making and pardon me. I was only on the set for two days, but it was two full days. And, uh, one of the things that, you know, I wasn't aware of until I was uh, on the set was the person in charge of continuity. Uh, and how much work goes into, because you have so many takes. It's not like you you do a scene and you get it in one take. Sometimes they do, but I remember some of the scenes that uh, that we shot with Euchre that weekend um, took as many as 15, 16, 17 takes. And so the scene starts out one way, but then things on the set move during the scene. For example, if Euchre was taking... A supposedly a shot of whiskey or a shot of bourbon or whatever that little shot glass had to start someplace and it had to be filled to a certain point and so we would do the take but then we had to do the take over again so then they had to put the shot glass right back where it was supposed to be at the beginning of the take and then fill the shot glass and by the way he wasn't drinking or whiskey he was Drinking Coca Cola that had a little water in it.
1: (laughs) That was the follow-up question, by the way. (laughs) Yes, yeah,
3: because seventeen shots of bourbon, and you know, but but Euchre's a pretty good actor. He 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 can do what a guy's supposed to (laughs) be doing after seventeen shots. But somebody had to come and fill that exactly, and it was kind of cool because the shot glass had to be turned to where they had painted a line on the shot glass with. Uh, like fingernail polish, a very thin line. And it had to be filled exactly to that line. And so every time we redid the take, for example, that was the exact amount of liquid that was in the glass and things that were on the table had to be, you know, in a certain spot on the table. And so there's somebody that's in charge of all of that. And that's for any movie, you know, because sometimes you shoot a scene and you might do six or eight takes of a scene and then when they go into post-production or whatever it is they do, and they go, you know what, we need to reshoot this. And they end up getting the actors back. And this is, you know, maybe months after they originally shot the scene. And so they have to have the wardrobe correct and whatnot. And uh, so there's a lot that, uh, that goes into it. But it was, uh, it was a great deal of fun over the, for me just over the course of the two days. And those scenes in Major League Two with Euchre were shot at Camden Yards in Baltimore um, in November of 93. So it was either the right after the first or second year that that ballpark was in use. Uh, it was a very, very interesting uh, weekend.
1: And you mentioned you were in minor league baseball at the time. You're working in Frederick, Maryland, and the Carolina League for uh-huh. the Orioles entry there. How did you get selected to, to be a part of this movie?
3: Oh, uh, good question. So toward the end of that 93 season and, um, you were
1: in the Carolina league at that time, right? Absolutely. You would have been in Wilmington in 93. I was in Wilmington. Correct.
3: Yeah. So you were in, well, that was the first year of the Wilmington team, if I recall. Correct. Yeah. So we, both of our clubs were very good that year and we had a very good team. And toward the end of that season in August, I happened to go into our clubhouse one day, we were at home. And there were there were people in our clubhouse that I didn't recognize. There were three or four people and there were guys that were filling out forms. And I'm just like, what's going on? And one of the persons said, well, we're uh, the casting company that's uh, casting extras for the sequel to the movie Major League. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And They said, uh, and they were like, yeah, we, we need actual baseball players to be extras. They go, but, but we could use some people in the press box. And what do you do? And I said, well, I'm the radio broadcaster for the team. And they said, well, here, fill out a form. So I filled out a form and they said, um, if, uh, if we have occasion to use you, you'll get a call from us sometime in October. So I filled it out. I turned it in. I went about my business that day. Didn't think about it the rest of the day, you know, kind of thought about, eh, it'd kind of be cool to be an extra in a movie, but you know, let it slide. And then the season ends and our season that year ended, you guys ended our season.
1: You oh. know what your team was thinking? They're like, uh, it, if we can just get eliminated quickly, Matt will have an opportunity to be in a movie. And so they, <laughs> so they took care of you
3: <laughs> and the rest of them, the rest of them will all have an opportunity to be in a movie. Well, one of our, if actually one of our top pitchers that year didn't get to pitch in that series I don't remember if he had been moved to double I, I want to say though that he was going to be our game 3 pitcher was a right-hander by the name of Rick Forney and Rick Forney is the Boston Red Sox pitcher in major league 2 Look at that So that much I do recall is a right-hander blonde and there are you know there's one scene in major league 2 where the uh, Indians are playing Boston and uh you know and you and rick is on camera quite a bit he throws i don't know five or six pitches there are a lot of close-ups on him but uh, he was one of our pitchers that year in 93 as were a lot of the other guys that you see in that movie they uh they they played for frederick in 93 and so anyway
1: um, they're all in, in on it then the, <laughs> they threw worked. the series so they can get onto the movie
3: <laughs> let's go let's go <laughs> um we uh Well, like I told you, they said that they were going to call sometime in October. Well, October came and went and I never got a call. And so when the calendar turned to November, I just thought, well, you know, they're either delayed or they're just going to shoot the movie without a lot of the people that, you know, were in that clubhouse that day. And I didn't think anything of it. So it wasn't until we were like, I don't know, November the 4th, November the 5th, something like that. And I got a phone call on a Thursday uh, at work. And at the time, while I was doing play by play for the Frederick Ball Club, I was actually an employee of the radio station that did those Frederick games and also did Mount St. Mary's basketball, which I did play by play for. But I also did morning sports for the two radio stations. And so I was at the radio station in the morning. And I get a phone call. And it's one of the casting people, and they say, hey, can you be at Camden Yards in Baltimore, which is about an hour away from Frederick? Can you be at Camden Yards tomorrow morning at 6 o'clock? And I'm thinking immediately, no, I have my shift. I I have to be here at 4.30 in the morning, and I have to do my – I said, wait a minute. Hold on just a second. And so I went and talked to our general manager, and I told him about the opportunity. Fortunately, he's one of those uh, mom-and-pop radio station guys that – um, thought a lot about his employees and said, yeah, yeah, we'll fill your slot. Why don't you go and see what the, that, that does for you? So I got back on the phone, told him I could be there. So I, 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 the next morning I get there to Camden Yards by 6. Do you remember the Prince William broadcaster at the time?
1: Was it Kevin Heilbronner?
3: Kevin Heilbronner was also in the casting call. So I think that they also got some guys from Prince William And Heilbronner was also there that morning. There were about 80 of us that showed up. And so he and I chatted for a bit. But basically what they did was they told us to bring five or six changes of summer clothes. So we brought our own wardrobe and to bring a book because they said a lot of this is just going to be sitting around doing nothing. And you'll probably want to read or or whatever. And, of course, this in the days before cell phones. So I, I brought a book and I brought a wardrobe. And I sat there for a couple of hours, and it's a little after 8 o'clock in the morning, and some guy walks into this room and asks all of us to stand up. And so we do, and he's looking around. And Again, there's about 80 people in the room, and he's looking around, and he goes, okay, I'm going to need you, and he's pointing at each one, you, you, and, uh, uh, and he looks toward the back where I am, and you, and he's pointing to me. So he's taking four people. I was the fourth one and we follow him. And the first thing we do is we go to wardrobe and we take all of our clothes to this truck and we give our clothes to this person and they put our name and they file away our clothes. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. I wonder if I'll ever see those clothes again. (laughs) And then, then we follow the guy up to the press box and, and you're familiar with the press box at Camden Yards. And you're familiar with the radio booths, which were very small and very tiny uh, in terms of space. You could not possibly get a movie camera in there. And so what the filmmakers did was they built a complete set where the writer's press box is. And they built a radio booth. Actually, they built two or three radio booths right there where the writers would normally sit and they built what amounted to basically a stage extended from the press box to put all of their gear so in other words the cameras the 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 director sat the continuity person other people that were involved in the production they were sitting on something that these guys built this it's basically a scaffolding Uh, extended from the press box out of wood and all of this expensive gear was out there all these people were out there hanging out over the press box and looking into the press box so they take me and these other three guys and they put us in seats and there's just all this busy work there's you hear saws you hear hammering it's at all these construction noises as we're sitting down in what essentially was about 35 degree weather. Again, this was early November in Baltimore and it was cold. And so I'm sitting around looking and trying to figure out, okay, where exactly am I in the scheme of things here? I seem to be in the middle. That must be good. And then I'm looking at the different booths and the little glass partitions that they have built. And it took me about two minutes and I realized, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be sitting next to Bob Euchre. I'm I'm going to be in this thing. Like, the realization hit. And then it was about an hour later, and youke and the guy who plays Monty and some other people come walking in, and youke sits down beside me, and I introduce myself, and we chat just for a little bit there. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm certainly going to get some direction here as to what to do because I can't you know, do anything that would draw attention away from Euchre. And so I got specific instructions because they said anything you do, any sudden movement, any quick movement will draw the eye of the camera. And so all of your motions need to be slow. And so it was interesting getting that kind of direction and, uh, and sitting there watching you work. And then for the rest of the day, that day outside of breaks for having to eat and for the, almost the full day on Saturday, I think I was probably on set about 14 to 15 hours each day, they basically shot just about all of euchre's scenes. And then I think he came back to shoot some scenes on Sunday. So I think all of Euchre's scenes for Major League Two were shot uh, over a three-day span at Camden Yards. But it was, it was definitely an educational experience.
1: Interesting peek behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah. Matt Hicks, I'm, I'm glad you had that opportunity. I know you, you spent uh, some good, good years in Frederick, and, and I'm sure that was a, a highlight of, of that time there. And um, Great to see you every time the uh, the Guardians now take on the Texas Rangers. Yeah, and, I, I know. And, and we'll look forward to, to seeing you this summer.
3: Very good. Thanks so much, Rosie.
1: That is Matt Hicks, the uh, broadcaster, radio broadcaster for the Texas Rangers. Stay tuned. More to come as Guardians Weekly continues on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Sure, we have 30
2: seconds to tell you that drivers who switch to progressive could save big. But then what? Well, we could try to fill the remaining time with awkward pauses. It's often done for comedic effect. Is it working? I can't tell if this is funny. Maybe this is so bad it's funny. Wow, we really peaked at the save big when you switched to progressive part. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates.
1: If you're just joining us, folks, you've missed a doozy. Welcome back to Guardians Weekly. Jim Rosenhouse putting a wrap on this week's show, and thanks as always for tuning in and so many different ways to do so each week. You can head to cleeguardians.com. All the archived editions are there in uh, the audio media portion of the website. Also, uh, our show airs as a podcast a little bit after its uh, regular airing, On the radio network, wherever you download your favorite podcast, be it Apple iTunes or the iHeart Media app, just find uh, Cleveland Guardians Podcasts, and uh, you'll find our show there each week. And, of course, you can listen to it on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. We usually send it down the line to the different stations who pick it up each week late in the day on Saturday, right around dinner time. If uh, you eat dinner around 6 o'clock or so, usually it'll be right there. So uh, hopefully you have a chance to check us out each week as we take you closer to the start of spring training and the beginning of the season, and uh, hopefully some good news on that as uh, we get closer. But uh, until next week, thanks to Brian Motze for helping to put together our show each week. I'm Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Guardians Weekly on the Cleveland Clinic Guardians Radio Network. Guardians Weekly has been brought to you by Progressive, helping Guardians fans save hundreds on car insurance.